Welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. It's interesting because the uh, story of the, the breaking of the loaves and fishes and then the story that comes after, which is the, the crossing of the lake, is a picture of what the children of Israel went through, the crossing of the Red Sea and the manner that was provided. So Jesus is reenacting what took place in the wilderness. And uh, we know from John chapter 6, verse 51, that when the disciples got into the boat to cross the lake to the other side, they hadn't yet understood the purpose and the message that took place in the loaves and the fishes. Jesus scolded them. He said, have you not understood what I did when I multiply the loaves and fishes. You said their hearts were hardened. They had no idea. They didn't see what Jesus was trying to reveal to them through this story. And you may remember before we read the story of the crossing of the sea, that when the loaves and fishes were multiplied, they, the, the disciples didn't understand that in the midst of a crisis or a problem or a need, that they had the resources within them to meet the need. And this is a problem that when many people face a crisis, they don't understand that the purpose of the crisis or the greater purpose is to reveal to you what's already inside you. Are you hearing me? And many of us get caught up in the magnitude of the problem and we don't realize it's actually not that it's sent by God, but God is going to use this to reveal the sonship that you have that you are more than an overcomer. And they didn't realize this. And Jesus said to them, you give to them. I've given you such authority. I want you to meet the need. There's something in you that can meet the need. But they didn't see that. And as I read through the story of the 5,000 before I progressed to the crossing of the, of the lake, I began to see that Jesus was showing the disciples that they were capable of greatness no matter what the crisis they faced. Today, you need to know this, that you are capable of greatness no matter what crisis you're facing today. He also showed them that provision can be found in the midst of any crisis to those that have eyes to see. Did you hear that? Provision is there in the midst of any crisis to those that have eyes to see. So the disciples were about to go across the lake and they needed to understand that, that in the midst of any crisis, there's provision. The crisis with the loaves and fishes was there's a whole lot of people who weren't going to eat, but there was provision there. You need to understand no matter what it is that you're going through, God has designed your life and my life. Listen carefully, that in the midst of every challenge and crisis, there is always provision. When Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, what, did, what happened? There was a ram. The Lord shall provide. And I know for some of you, you're in the midst of challenges and you can't see provision. The first step is to know this. There is provision. Once you get that revelation, you'll see it. Isn't that a relief? Another lesson that the disciples failed to see is that they would act and take authority and use what they have. See, when we go through a crisis, a lot of people are paralyzed. And I write about this in my book. I spent days when I went through some significant crisis in my life where I walked up and down 
the house, wore out the, the, uh, the floorboard saying these words, God, what am I going to do? 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 I couldn't eat, knots in my stomach. And what I failed to see is that God was waiting for me to use what I had. Another thing that they failed to see before we look at this story is that there's always an assignment attached to your provision. There's always something that God is going to ask you to do or to say, to give. There's something attached. There's an assignment attached to your crisis that will unlock provision. There's a word from the law. There's a direction. There's a command. There's something that you need to do that will unlock your provision. For Hagar, it was leaving her tree and picking up her son. The moment she picked up her son and held him in her arms, she saw provision. There was an assignment. The assignment was to leave one place and to go to another. For some of you stuck in a crisis, God wants to show you that there's an assignment that he has in the midst of that crisis that will unlock provision. They failed to see all these lessons and then Jesus sent them on a safari. It's interesting when I look at these two stories because it tells me that there's my own personal victory and then there's a corporate victory. The, the loaves and the fishes are about meeting personal need. Crossing the sea is about taking territory from the enemy. And your own breakthrough is bigger than you realize. If you can discover how to live in peace... It's not just going to affect you, but it'll affect your family, your marriage, your workplace, your neighborhood, and on and on it goes. Your crisis is much bigger than you. Yeah. Are you hearing me? And what they learned with the loaves and fishes was to set them up to take much ground off the enemy. See, it's one thing to have a breakthrough on the land. It's another thing to have a breakthrough on the sea. There's security, such certain amount of security on the land, but it's out in the sea in hostile territory that I truly need to live in a greater degree of authority. And God is raising up fathers of peace that will father sons of peace, people that are looking for breakthrough. And there's an anointing on this book, not just to get your own breakthrough, and that's important, but God wants you to come to a place of such authority where there's worry. See, Paul says... Be anxious for nothing. You can come to such a place where you have authority over all the circumstances of life and you begin to become a father of peace to people. You can only give what you have. Only fathers can father sons. Matthew 14, 22 says, immediately. So this is connecting the last story of the loaves and fishes to this current story. Immediately Jesus made his disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And the question is, the other side of what? That's what I thought too. Was the aim to make it to the shore on the other side? Or was Jesus trying to get them to the other side of something else? We'll find out. So he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. I think he was praying that the disciples would discover who they truly were and that they would conquer the spirit of fear that was about to come and make havoc on the lake. See, the lake, the water is a picture of our life, of the circumstances that we go through. 
We all go through them. We've all got to traverse across this thing called life. But the enemy is there and there is a spirit of fear across the world today that is about or is magnifying the events of life and turning them from, from water into waves. So you ready? He went up on the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, Jesus was alone there. But the boat with the disciples were right smack bang in the middle of the sea. No way back. Stuck in the middle. They were tossed by the waves. See, the waves represent, if you're taking notes, the fear that is attached to events that you are going through. They are the things, waves are the things that make us go up and down in life. Have you ever had a week like that when you've been going up and down? Because the enemy has come in and taken events of your life and blown on them with a spirit of fear, and now you're up and down. And the problem is that when you're up and down, you can't see your destination. Have you noticed that when you've been out in a choppy sea and the waves are going up and down, you lose sight of the horizon. And, then, and, and I found in my life when I, when I was going through events, see, it's not the event that is the problem, it's the fear that comes attached to that event. That's why two people can go through the same event and one looks at peace and one's a stress ball. One person allows the enemy to come and breathe on that and blow on that event and turns water into a wave. And so we start to go up and down, up and down, up and down, and we lose sight. It says, they were in the midst of the sea, tossed by the waves. Do you know, I looked up the word tossed in Greek, and it's the word bazanizo, which is B-A-S-A-N-I-Z-O. And it means pain and toil. But then I saw this thing at the end. They were, the, the, it says that they were tossed by the waves. And this word tossed literally means uh, to test or to test by a touchstone. I thought, aha. The waves, they were tossed by the waves. Tossed means touchstone. And do you know what a touchstone is? It's a special stone that they used. And they still use today where you get gold and silver, precious metal, which is soft. And they rub it against this special stone that has these unique properties, and as they rub the gold and silver down, it leaves a streak to authenticate whether it's gold or silver, and they can test the gold and silver through that. Job says that when I am tested, I shall come forth like gold. And the purpose of the tossing of the waves is that there will be a rubbing of the circumstances and my life and the genuineness of what is in within me will begin to be revealed. I am a son of God. And the purpose of, of the storm is the revealing of the sons of God. It says, They were tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. That word contrary means to oppose as an adversary. They were in a realm now. See, it's one thing to stand on land and to be praying for peace in your own needs. But now, have you noticed that when you begin to step up into the things of God, 
the storm begins to get a little bit more fierce. They're now coming against the adversary who doesn't want them to progress. You begin to minister to other people. And the moment you step out and take your eyes off your own problems and begin to give out, storms begin to come. The enemy does not want you to take ground. Has anyone noticed that? The wind was contrary. And I've noticed this about fear. Whenever you step out, the enemy comes against you and he brings circumstances and he blows on them and creates fear. Fear, if you're taking notes, wants to redefine your circumstances like wind seeks to redefine water. Did you hear that? Fear wants to redefine your circumstance like wind redefines water. It wants to turn the water into a wave. Because a wave is just essentially water blown by the wind. And the enemy wants to come and distort your circumstances and make them bigger than what they seem. He's all bluff. He's all wind. He wants to magnify your circumstances and their effects. Now in verse 25, in the fourth watch of the night, I love that because the fourth watch is a prophetic picture of a new day. Whenever you go through a crisis, you know one thing. that In the midst of a crisis, there will be a new day. You may not see it. It may seem like the darkest of the night. But I have discovered if you are hanging there and look for signs of his appearing, there will come a new day. Did you hear me? That's the way God designed it. In the fourth watch of the night, it's a time of morning light or revelation. This is what I've discovered. In the darkest moments, revelation is coming. Did you hear me? You need to hear this. Because the enemy will say, there's such darkness and there's such oppression and we're not hearing God speak because we're anxious and uptight. He's saying, you're never going to get out of this holding pattern. I've discovered that in the darkest times, the morning comes. There's revelation that's about to come that's going to unlock you into a whole new dimension. Now in the fourth watch, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. You should underline that in your Bible. It doesn't happen too often. This was a whole realm that the disciples were not familiar with. See, it's one thing to discover peace in your own world, but God's calling his church into realms that we've never been in before. Maybe some people here, you've been called to bring peace to government officials, to key business people, to those in education, in realms where there's brokenness. See, peace is the shalom of God. It's bringing wholeness, completeness, uh, perfection, the, the mind of God, the heart of God into areas that are broken. And, and this was a realm where they weren't used to Jesus walking in. It's one thing to have peace in your family, but I think God's calling you to bring peace to other areas of your life, other areas in the in the the whole community in, in this world. Peace to Main Street Croydon. Now there's a miracle. There's walking on water. 
There's Jesus where maybe some haven't seen him before. Peace in your school place, in your workplace. They saw him walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled and they said, it's Casper the friendly ghost. (laughs) And they cried out for fear. Doesn't difficult moments turn men into pussycats? They'd not seen Jesus this way before and they didn't expect him to come in this way. And a lot of people haven't seen Jesus as they should see him. You know, we haven't seen that it's actually a reality that we can live a life without any stress. We've not seen Jesus that way before. We've not seen that he's so interested in Monday to Saturday that he wants to bring peace to every aspect of our world. And so we're blind to that. We don't have an expectation that when we leave this place and tomorrow we're facing difficult moments, we don't truly believe that Jesus wants to turn up there walking on the water. And so we don't see him. I love this story because Jesus sent them headfirst into a storm, full well knowing what awaited them. What father would do that to a son? Really? What was Jesus thinking? He knew that when he sent them out to the other side, he must have been laughing on the inside. (laughs) He knew. He wasn't surprised by that storm. That fear thing didn't catch him. by. He wasn't up there in the mountain seeking God for the interpretation. He knew they were about to face a storm. But he was praying for them. Why would Jesus send you into a storm? Why doesn't he make everything perfect? Why, why, why? There's a chapter where I write about why. Why? Why would you do this to us? Why would you put me through so much? I, I've, and I've prayed these prayers. Well, they're sort of prayers and gripes. God, after all the things I've done for you, I know you died for me on the cross, and I, I know it's pretty hard to up that. But, you know, when you look at everyone else, I've been pretty good. I've served you, loved you, paid my tithes, preached every week, given my life for you, and this is what you give me in return? I'm having a hard time preaching on the goodness of God at the moment. Why would Jesus send them into a storm? And that's the question you need to define and have answered before you go into the storm. You need to know that this is not by chance. Even though storms aren't sent by God, God has a purpose in the midst of the storm. And I began to discover that the reason Jesus sends his disciples into storms is so we would begin to discover any hidden area of fear in our life. There may be some of you who think, I don't have any fear. Well, come with me. And we'll dangle you over the edge of the, you know, one of the big towers in the city. And let's see what sort of fear ratio you have. You see, you don't know that you've got fear until it's exposed. And this shows you how much God hates fear. And how detrimental it is to our well-being that Jesus would put us in a position to expose it. Jesus uses the least amount of pain for the greatest amount of good. And he loves you too much to let your life be riddled with fear, even if you can't notice it. Because it is hurting you. It's stopping you progressing. So he releases them into the storm 
And I was just joking before, he wasn't sniggering. He was, that was just my warped sense of humor. I probably would have sniggered. But he was praying to them, Lord, Father, let them see the fear that's in their heart. Deliver them from their fear. For God hasn't given you today a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. And he, is, he loves you so much that he wants to deliver you from fear. There was no fear in the garden. That's why they could possess. And that's why they could multiply. That was the purpose of God, to multiply. But you can't do that with fear. You always take the safe least resistance op option. So the, he did it so they discover any hidden areas of fear. But he also did it so they would have an opportunity to exercise the dominion that was already inside them. Maybe you are facing a crisis today because God wants you to see what's already inside you. He doesn't send you into the storm for the storm to overcome you, but that you would overcome the storm. But the problem is that many of us allow the storm to get inside us and we begin to sink. Storms, water was made to walk on. Mark 6, 48 is another account of this story. And it's fascinating because it says that when Jesus walked on the water, he saw the disciples straining, rowing, straining, struggling, and it says that he came to them walking on the sea, and it says, and he would have passed them by. It tells me two things about Jesus. He hides, he's hiding from us, yet he's not hiding from us. That word, he would have passed them by, is the same thought pattern that was used in the Old Testament when Father passed by Moses and Elijah, and he revealed to them his goodness. Jesus was walking on the water, and what he was doing, he was revealing to the sons, to his disciples, the power that was inside him. It was like this. That's what he was doing. He was saying, look at this. Look at what I can do. And he wasn't doing that so they would all go, Jesus, you are amazing. You are the water walker. We worship you. Now help. Now, he, he wasn't, he was saying, Look, look, what I can do, you can do. He says he would have passed them by. He was, he was revealing himself. Get out of the boat. You can do what I can do. See, Jesus didn't come to be an example for us, but an example of us. He's not there, so we would just and hear my heart. He, he is the one that we worship. He is the Son of God. But the whole purpose of coming to earth is to show us what we lost. Are you hearing me? So he walked past. He says he would have passed them by. So he wasn't hiding from them. But in a sense, he was hiding. Because I've discovered this, that if we are focused on our pain in our crisis, we will always miss our moment. That's the problem when people become self-absorbed in their pain. Because the answer to your problem is hidden in a request, in an assignment, in giving to somebody else, in hearing the voice of God. The answer to your problem requires that you release yourself from this self-absorbed life. And the greatest problem, listen, don't miss this, in a crisis is this. You become self-absorbed. And when you become self-absorbed, you cannot 
hear God speak. I write about in my book, this is, this blew my mind. God could send, don't miss this, God could send a raven who is a picture in the Bible of the enemy. He could command a raven to feed Elijah and the raven obeyed. Yet God commanded a widow to provide for Elijah and she did not hear. God has more power to command the enemy than he does, to ha- than he does over a self-absorbed Christian. And it was almost as if Jesus was hiding. He wasn't hiding himself, but that's what pain does. It hides the answer from us because we're absorbed in our problem. And their life is defined about their pain. They tell this story over. And that's why after a while, I mean, I've got my painful stories, but I, get, I don't want to tell them anymore. It's just like, I don't want to be defined by all that. And yes, I will use them, God, if it helps someone. But I don't like recounting painful times because it's not what defines me. I want to hear the voice of God. And when I'm caught up in my pain, when I'm anxious and uptight, I can't hear God speak. And that's one of the things that God began to teach me. Andrew, in the midst of your pain, if you get absorbed in it, you won't hear what I'm doing. You will, it'll be as if I am passing you by. You won't see me. And I know it's hard. Because the last thing you feel like doing when you're in pain and in a crisis is turning your eyes off yourself. But it's the greatest thing that you can do. I suggest something really simple, and this is off topic. Bake a cake for someone. Give someone 50 bucks. Encourage somebody. Praise the Lord anyhow. Get your eyes off yourself. And you know, in those little things, they will position you to hear what God is saying. I walked for days. It seemed like up and down, God, what am I going to do? And God didn't say anything. In fact, he was speaking. I couldn't hear him because God can't speak when I'm uptight. But the moment I began to sit down and, all right, God, I guess I'm a pastor. I probably should open my Bible <laughs> and talk to you about this problem, get your perspective. During the moment I stopped pacing the floor and said, okay, God, what are you doing? What are you seeing? Speak to me. God began to speak powerfully. It's like, why didn't I do this? Why did I spend three days and not eat? Verse 26. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were troubled. They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. It's so unfruitful to continually voice our fear and our small perspective. Jesus was looking for people we begin to speak the promise. I write in my book, we can sit in the boat and be offended by the storm and the absence of Jesus, or we can choose to believe that in every circumstance, Jesus will come walking towards those who have eyes to see him in his many forms. And that's the choice that you have today. You can sit in the boat and say, I'm really ticked off with you, Jesus. I don't like what you're doing with my life. In fact, I think you need... Some assistance up there because you're really making a mess of it. And I've done this. I've sat on my stair and said, God, I don't like what you're doing. I don't see you. I don't feel you. And I am wholly ticked off. Amen. (laughs) And the 11 disciples sat in the boat, ticked off with Jesus. 
They didn't understand what the assignment was. They thought it was to get to the other side, but that wasn't the assignment. The assignment wasn't to sit in a boat and fearfully make it to the other side and uh, finally get buried and say, I made it. That's not the purpose of life, is to endure to the end. But trapped in a boat of fear, that's not the purpose. If it was, then Jesus would just, the moment you get born again, he would bring you to heaven. No, the purpose of life is to get to the other side of something else. Verse 27, it says, Immediately Jesus spoke to them, so they'd voiced their fear. And he says, Be of good cheer, folks. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now listen to this. As soon as fear speaks, you need to write this down. Get ready for the voice of Jesus is near. Did you hear that? As soon as fear begins to speak, get ready. Get excited because the voice of Jesus is always near. They cried out with fear and it says, but immediately. Say immediately. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them. As soon as fear raises its voice, you ought to rejoice. Why? Because Jesus has promised that immediately he will counteract fear with a word from the Lord. Did you hear me? So when fear begins to rise, I don't know how to pay these bills. I don't know how to deal with this out-of-control circumstance. Relax. You see... I write in one of the chapters about the sea of glass. There is a sea of glass that that precedes the throne of God. The throne of God is the authority to rule over your enemies. The sea of glass is flat. It represents peace. Peace precedes authority and the word of the Lord. So if you will just wait, God will speak a word. Whenever fear speaks, wait, for Jesus is about to speak. See, if you just learn that, if you just put that in your pocket, it will save you from days of stress. Don't voice your fears. Listen for Jesus. And Peter answered and said, Lord, in verse 28, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. See, whenever we hear God speak, it's an invitation to respond and to speak his words. So when Jesus speaks to me in the storm, he's saying to me, I want you to grab a hold of these words and begin to declare them in the midst of your crisis. There is a word of the Lord for you to articulate that will overcome your crisis. We have a word from the Lord to speak and deflate fear. Now, it may not eliminate the water, but it certainly will eliminate the way. Verse 29, so Jesus said, come, and Peter had got down out of the boat. Everyone in all the church should give Peter a hand. He did it. He walked on water. But when he saw the wind was boisterous. Say boisterous. Now that's funny because in verse 24 it's contrary. Now it's boisterous. In verse 24 there's an adversary. But in verse 29, it's boisterous. Do you know that word? It means a strong man. It's the same word in Matthew where he says that you first got to bind the strong man. And I've discovered that when you step out of your boat, the enemy knows, the strong man knows your particular fear. And that's what you have to take on. 
It goes from a general resistance to the whole body of Christ. He hates everyone. He's, he's very nice like that. He's, his hatred is even for all of us. We saw that in verse 24. It's contrary against the 12 disciples. But when one steps out, it goes, it narrows into the strong man that you're taking on. And you will feel that as you step out in faith sometimes, that everything's storming, that the enemy will hone in his attack. And he did that to me. He honed in onto the thing that I was weakest in was my love for my family. Well, when I say weakest, it was my, my soft spot. You want to fight my family, do you? Strong man. Has anyone ever faced a strong man? It seems the wind reacted to Peter's walk of faith because there's something about walking on water that threatens the enemy. Verse 30, and he began to sink. And he cried out to the Lord saying, Save me, Lord Jesus. Help me, help me, help me, help me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him. I looked at it, I thought, isn't that interesting? That tells you something about Jesus. If you sink and Jesus catches you with his hand when you cry out to him, it tells me one thing. He's near. And in the midst of taking on your biggest strong man, you need to realize that even if you sink a little, Jesus is right next to you. He's greater than any strong man. You may sink at times because the strong man comes, but Jesus is ready to pick you up. I love this story because he cries out, Save me, Jesus. And Jesus says, Oh, I'm sorry about that, Peter. I really probably did overstep the mark today. That was a big ask. And he says, No. He says, Peter, why are you of little faith? Why did you doubt? You were made for this. You can overcome this strong man. It says in verse 32, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Why? What was it about Jesus stepping into the boat that stopped the wind? I believe what it was, was the walk back from where Peter sunk with Jesus was the walk that stopped the wind. Water's got to be walked on for wind to stop. And I love this about Peter, is that he gets up again. He says, okay, Lord, let's try again. And they walk back together until they got into the boat. You may have sunk a few times in your battle against a strong man of fear your own particular challenges. But do you know what? God's not finished with you. He's going to pick you back up. It says, you know, you might have had only little faith, but I, I believe in you. You've got great faith. Let's try again. We will walk back. They focus on Peter's sinking, but the truth is he walked back to the boat. As soon as they got in the boat, the wind stopped and they instantly relocated to the other side. John 6.21 says... That when they received them into the boat, immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. This tells me one thing. Listen carefully. The destination was to walk on water, not to make it to the other side. Do you hear that? Are you getting this? The destination wasn't to go to the other side. The destination 
was to go to the other side of fear, to walk on the water. Because as soon as they walked on the water, they were immediately at the other side. Can you see the two connected? Your destination isn't to make it to the other side, to grow old. Your destination is to get to the other side of fear and the work of the enemy to conquer him. That's your destination. You must reach a place where you are not on the shore, on the other side, but you are rather sure of your authority. That's the shore that we're aiming for. Not the other side, not to grow old, but to get to a place that I know that I know that I have authority over the enemy. There's peace that has been established in my life. That's the shore to go for. I love this story because the last verse says, in verse 33, And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Here's my question. When do they do that? Where were they when they worshipped him? It says, when Jesus got in the boat, they worshipped him, saying, You are the Son of God. But it says in John, when he stepped in the boat, they were immediately at the other side. They didn't worship him in the water. They worshipped him on the shore. I don't know about you, but I don't want to worship on the other side. I want to worship on the water. Anyone can worship Jesus in heaven, but only a few can worship him on the water. Eleven worshipped him as the son of God, but almost like it was a no-brainer. You're amazing, Jesus. They were clapping his authority, but Peter worshipped him on the water by stepping out. The greatest thing that we can do right now, I believe for all of eternity, is to worship Jesus in the midst of your crisis. You can't do that in heaven. I'm not saying that worship in heaven is invalid because it's so powerful. But there's something that we've been given as a great gift. Think about it. You've got 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it might be, a small blip in eternity to worship Jesus in the midst of a crisis. It's the touchstone to reveal the sonship. All of creation is longing for the revelation, the revealing of the sons of God. And we get to do that walking on water. I'm convinced that water is made to walk on. And no matter what it is that you face today, Jesus is there. He's calling you. Come on. You know, these circumstances try to define you. The enemy's come and blown it up so it's bigger than what it really is. Because, you know, when I look at it, it's small. It's big to you because you've allowed fear to come in. You've allowed the enemy to blow on it and make it bigger than what it really is. I'm not minimizing the pain. I'm just minimizing perspective. Because when we faced issues in our own family, we faced a number of them. They are, they are big issues, so I'm not saying they're not. But the enemy wants to blow them up out of proportion so it takes over all of life and we can't see our destination. We get so focused and narrowed in. But Jesus comes walking to us on the water saying, don't forget who you are. You're a son of God. There's gold in those hills. You are a water walker. You are great. And this thing will not define you. You will define it. And you will see, see, I, I have this sneaking suspicion that when Jesus walked in the water, 
he left a trail of just flat water. There were no waves. That's why they could see him. How do you see someone when there's waves? But I think where he walked, it was smooth because he was the Prince of Peace. And wherever Jesus goes, he flattens waves and makes it calm. And he'll do that in your heart today. He'll bring down the waves and he'll help you navigate to the other side of fear. And you will become a father of peace. And I know in my heart that God is raising up. See, the greater thing in your life is, yes, he wants to give you personal victory, but he, he is actually getting you ready to father cultures, workplaces, environments in the realm of peace. See, I have a conviction that when I walk in to a room, I carry the kingdom, there's peace in me. Have you noticed? We, we've noticed when people come into our home, particularly those that are not Christians, they oh, this isn't a good feel about this house. Yeah. wonder who built it. No, no, no. It's not what's the house. It's what's in the house. It's peace. We, we take peace for granted. But when you've lived amongst the waves day after day, a nice flat sea is quite attractive. And that's what you bring to your world. You are a carrier of the Prince of Peace. Peace I give, not as the world gives. It's wonderful. So wherever you are today in life, he comes with his peace that passes all understanding. It's going to guard your heart and your mind. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for your peace. Lord, not only do we thank you for your peace, but we know in the midst of every storm, you come with the answers, with provision, with an assignment to get us to the other side. We thank you, Lord, that you are bringing us to places where you're driving out every stain and remnant of fear and causing us to be the sons of God and the daughters of God, full of peace and authority. And Lord, I pray that when we go through and traverse across the ocean of life, that you will cause things to drive out every, every trace of fear. You are a good, safe father. And we place our lives in your hand. Teach us to walk on water. Teach us to walk high above every circumstance and to use your word to take authority over the things that don't belong in our world. Truly, we were made to walk on water. And we thank you for that, Lord. That no weapon that is formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue that rises up against us in judgment, we shall condemn. This is the, the right, the inheritance of the saints. And we thank you that you've equipped us to speak to our storm and bring peace. Lord, I pray for family members that have caused pain and confusion and are causing turmoil in hearts here today. We speak peace over that person peace and we take authority over the enemy and his, his works behind the scene and we say wind seeks in Jesus name. Every demon that has come and has manipulated and deceived and is at work behind the scenes we silence now in Jesus name and we speak a calm peace to every troubled heart. Holy Spirit even as you rested and you hovered over the earth, 
when it was full of chaos and darkness. And then the word of the Lord came. I pray that you would hover over every troubled situation so the word of the Lord could come. Speak into every troubled heart today. I ask in Jesus' name.